I think Sam, you said something about seeds and planting and growth and big trees. You must have known what we're talking about today. Um, so my name is Marcus, and um, I'm going to speak on Mark today. Lauren asked me to speak on the passage of Mark, but um, I had Sam read this section from Ezekiel because I thought that fit in nicely. Um, and uh, just a little in, a, in the way of a disclaimer, some of you know me, some of you don't know me. Um, I don't do this on a regular basis. I'm not an ordained minister. I don't have any special revelation, but part of the lesson here today is that I think any of us can take the time and dig into the Word and learn and read and study and wrestle with things and um, pray on things and meditate things and, and hopefully learn and, and come to, to know the things that I've discovered and that I want to share with, with you all today. Um, I'm going to take my glasses off because I'm more farsighted than nearsighted. Um, short word of prayer. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning and um, to be in your house with your people and to, to worship together, to celebrate together, Lord, but also to dig in your word and to understand new truths and to, to wrestle with these ideas, Lord. And I pray that you would prepare in each of us uh, a heart this morning of, of good soil, that this, the seeds of your word would, would find root and would grow and uh, help us to, to understand the truth of your kingdom and, and our part in that, Lord. I pray this, uh, that this would be true this morning. Amen. So, um, if you haven't been here for a while, or if your memory is short-term like mine, like I can't remember what I had for dinner last night, a um, little bit of a way in a recap. We've been going through the book of Mark, and then uh, we, um, last Sunday we talked about baptism. Um, so just a little bit of a way of recap. So, um, of course, way back in history, the Israelites had been looking for a king, and there used to be King David, and there's the glory days, and then the kingdom fell apart, and the Israelites just never really had a king anymore. Um, meanwhile, they're conquered by the Romans. They're oppressed by them. They have to pay lots of taxes. They can't have their own army. Um, I think the Romans even took away their, their weapons, um, so they're oppressed, and they're suffering, and they're just looking for this Redeemer King that's been promised to them long ago. Then along comes Jesus, this, this regular local fellow from, from Judea, and uh, of course the son of a carpenter, not really royal ancestry. Well, there was, but I think some people might have forgotten about that. And I kind of wonder how many people remembered as Jesus was growing up remembered his miraculous birth and all the angel choirs and everything around that. And if it was just like, I thought this guy was supposed to be something and here he's just this regular fella. Um, he was a child prodigy. I think he argued with the Pharisees in the temple. And, but again, so along comes, comes Jesus. And um, then he had just gotten baptized earlier in Mark. He had gotten baptized by his cousin John who said that someone will come after him who would be greater than him whose uh, sandals he would be un, unworthy to tie. The baptism was remarkable. Of course, the heavens opened up and the voice of God came down and said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. So then we get some indications that Jesus isn't just this regular old guy. 
And of course, at that time, Jesus declares, let me back up for a moment. Um, John had said, I found this interesting, John had said, after me comes someone, right? And so after John, effectively his ministry sort of ended because Herod, who was also the, the king of the Jews at that time, Herod Antipas, um, had John imprisoned, and so that effectively ended the time of John. And after that time, Jesus declared, the time has come, or some translations will say, the time is now fulfilled. The kingdom of God is near, or the kingdom of God has come nearer, as some translations say. Jesus says, repent and believe the good news. That's in Mark 1, verse 14. So Jesus does some miracles, and he has some profound teachings, and then he suggests that he himself, who's really the son of this carpenter from Nazareth, is in fact the Messiah. Mark, or in Mark uh, chapter 2, verse 23, Jesus even makes this kind of comparison that um, maybe there's some similarities between him and the mighty King David because, uh, remember, Jesus was picking some grain on the Sabbath and the Pharisees said, hey, you can't do that on the Sabbath. And Jesus said, well, you know, even... Uh, David and his, his men, um, when they were running from King Saul, they got into the temple and, and uh, Abiathar, the priest, gave them some of the, the holy bread, right? So people must have wondered, well, hang on, are you, are, are you saying, are you saying you're kind of, are you special that way? Um, anyways, so they uh, thought Jesus was maybe saying some things that are a little bit off script. Some thought he was a little bit crazy. They called his family in to kind of control him and talk to him. And, um, but larger and larger crowds gathered, and then uh, Jesus started preaching, and he started talking about the kingdom. And earlier in chapter 4, he's talking about the parable of the soils and the sowers. And uh, he's setting the stage that this kingdom that he's preparing, that he's declared, is now starting to come to fruition, is different than the kind of kingdom then what the Israelites were expecting. They were expecting maybe a political movement and maybe some banners and convoys and, you know, rah, 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 and nope, nope, this wasn't, that wasn't that kind of a kingdom. And so uh, Jesus starts talking about these different kinds of seeds and different kinds of soils. And then he takes his disciples privately and he says, you know, now I'm going to explain this to you a little bit more. And then we get into today's passage which uh, we haven't read yet, but if you would join me in Mark chapter 4, verse 21. He said to them, Do you bring a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or whether he gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. And all by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk and then the head, and then the full kernel in the head. And as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Again he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant on the ground. 
And yet when planted, it grows and it becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. And with many parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. But he did, he did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. So he's got these three parables here, which he's trying to use to describe this new kingdom, this different kingdom. So the first is a, he's talking about this, this kingdom of light. He's talking about lamps and, you know, he's not, this isn't a lesson about like how to find socks in the dark when you've lost your sock. And it's not about like domestic safety, like, you know, don't trip at night when you're, when you're getting up. This is, a, this is a different kind of lesson. He's talking about the light that exposes sin. Um, in Matthew 23, Jesus talks about the Pharisees and he calls them out And one of these, uh, you know, like we're used to, I don't know, maybe you like watching these like YouTube smackdowns where some guy, you know, somebody said something and then someone else comes and tells them back and puts them down. And of course, it's just a video made to get lots of views, right? But Jesus had these, I think he had a lot of these things that would have made great YouTube clips because he said to the Pharisees, you guys, you guys on the outside are nice whitewashed tombs, but on the inside you're full of dead men's bones, dead men's bones and all kinds of unclean things, right? So this light that comes with this kingdom of light, this is the light that exposes sin. This is the condition of the Pharisees, of course, when Jesus is addressing them, but it's also, I think, a reflection of ourselves, right? We all, uh, I think, on the outside, we like to have a shower and dress up clean and, and show ourselves, show the best of ourselves to the world, but often there's things in our hearts that, that we struggle with. And so Jesus comes into our lives, he, he reveals our sin, our pride, things done in secret. In verse 22 it says, whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the, into the open. And I think here Jesus is also foreshadowing that there's a, a judgment coming, that this kingdom that he's preparing, there's also going to be an end. There's going to be a judgment, and all the secrets and all the deeds done in darkness will be revealed, and they'll be judged. Um, if we flip over to John uh, chapter 3, verse 19 to 21, it says there, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it might be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. And also if we jump over to Luke, I don't know if you can keep up with me here unless you have an electronic Bible where you can just punch it in. Um, Luke 12 verses 2 to 3. There's nothing hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in darkness will be heard in daylight and what you have whispered in the, if what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. This also hints again at a coming judgment, that everything will be exposed. And if we go back to the, um, the parable of the soils and the farmers, right? Even the, even the ground, you throw those seeds down, you scatter the seeds, some of them land on the good soils, some of them on terrible soils, some of them get picked away by the birds. And that ground, eventually, after it rains like this, and tomorrow I think it's going to be sunny again, right? That ground will eventually reveal if there's a fruit coming from that ground or not. The truth will be exposed. The other thing that light does, it shows us truth from deception. In John 14, verse 6, 
It says, I am the way, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so in this kingdom of, of light, light exposes truth, right? And, and so much of what we deal with today, I think, I don't know, more than ever more, it seems like, there's this battle over the truth. What's the real truth? You know, what's the fake truth, the alternate truth? Um, your truth, my truth, everybody's got their own version of the truth, right? And I think the biggest, the biggest search for truth that a lot of people are, are searching for is, is, especially maybe during COVID, a lot of people had time to think like, what's the, what's the point of it all? What's the purpose of life? I got all this stuff, but I can't travel. I can't do anything. What's the meaning of life? Am I really just, you know, some advanced monkey that walks on two legs that's evolved from pond scum, and, and, and when I die, it's just like lights out? Or, or is, there, is there more to it? And, uh, you know, and if that's your mindset, then that shapes your whole worldview and everything that you pursue. And, of course, the real truth is that we're made in God's image. He created us for his glory to, to glorify him. And we're to love and care for all creation, and especially other people, and, and share with them the hope of a, of a life full of meaning and purpose that we have with God. The other thing that life, light does, it gives comfort and warmth. It's the original safe space. You know about safe spaces nowadays, but everybody likes to have a space where they're safe and, and be safe. But um, I don't know if you ever watched that show Alone. That's this popular TV show. I think a lot of it was filmed on Vancouver Island. And uh, they would take 10 contestants, they would fly them out in the middle of nowhere and then drop them off with a bunch of survival gear and, and a bunch of cameras to record their adventures. And they were literally alone on the west coast of North Vancouver Island. and. They had to survive their day and night, and whoever survived the longest before tapping out would win. But anyways, one of the things that I uh, found from this, they had a lot of these survival experts, and they said, boy, if you just have, if all you can manage is to make a fire, even if you're not cold, even if it's a warm day, if you just make a fire, you will not feel alone, right? So there's that sense of, of companionship and, and comfort. And in God's kingdom, um, again, this is a kingdom where others will come, and they will find companionship and comfort and, and warmth and safety. Matthew 11, verse 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Right? So, we search for all these things, and we've, again, from the previous point, you know, so many people are searching for the wrong kind of truth, right? When you, when you find Jesus, you come into this kingdom, and when you discover the truth of who God is and who Jesus is and what his plan is for your life, you get a sense of, Rest, man, I don't have to worry about all this stuff anymore because I know, I know where I am. I know I'm home. And of course, the other thing that Jesus is doing here with revealing this kingdom, really probably one of his biggest points, he's revealing himself as the Messiah, right? He's not just, uh, you know, the son of the carpenter down the street. He's the Messiah, the promised deliverer that everybody's, everybody's kind of been reading about in the synagogues. You know, these are all Jews that he's, that he's talking to. And uh, he's revealing that this is, in fact, you know, hey, guys, this is, this is me. This is where he declares the kingdom of God is near. He's telling everyone that he's been sent by Father God to reconcile humanity back into a relationship with him. Jesus, who would pay the price demanded by a just God as a consequence of sin, inherited all the sin of humanity from Adam and Eve. And this is the Messiah prophesied by the ancient prophets. 
so that it's referring to the secret of this, this mystery and, and, and why is it a mystery, right? It's, it's because it's been there all along. This has been God's plan all along. But now Jesus comes along and he's like lifting the veil or like on a rainy day, like you wipe your windshield wipers and you can see clearly this is actually what's happening. This is, this is happening. Jesus is the true Messiah. And um, if you read through the Gospels, even the disciples, Jesus' closest inner circle, right? They often got this message. Jesus is telling them about his upcoming death and his resurrection, and he's repeating these things to them. And, and it's like, they're like, what? What do you, you know, a lot of them just don't get it. Like, he just had to repeat it over and over, right? But it's this continuing revelation that he's the, prof- he's the prophesied Messiah. The kingdom of God is the words and the works and the person of Jesus Christ. So what are we to do with all this? Who is the light? Well, the light is the Lord Jesus and those who follow him in his kingdom. John 9, verse 5, it says, While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And I read that briefly, and I thought, well, you know, obviously Jesus has died and resurrected and gone back to heaven, and so now we're the ones who remain to, to be the lights And uh, I think in those days when he's talking to his audience, you know, they didn't have lights like we do. You flick it on with a switch, right? They had candles or oil lamps. And um, I don't know what they did for matches, but probably the easiest way to light a light was to just like, here, I'm going to light your candle, and then you light that one's candle, and um, that light would spread, right? And I think that's the analogy there of us just taking that light, that that truth of God's message, and and sharing that with others and spreading that. And so that's where he's talking here. Do you take your lamp and put it under a bowl or on a bed? Don't you put it on its stand? So what are we to do with our light? What are we to do with this, this truth and this great message that's been revealed to us? Do we kind of go, well, that's good for me. I'm glad I've figured it out, but too bad for all those sinners. Well, they don't know what's coming to them, but at least I'm saved. Is that what we're supposed to do? Or do we put our message up there and, and share it? And let our good deeds be known to all. Right? Spread the word. Now in verse 23, he says, Many were hearing the sound of his voice, but not listening. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 24 again, Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. I suppose he was, Jesus was talking to that crowd and there was people there that were distracted, just like I know I've been on Sunday morning. Um, but I'm sure there's people in the crowd going, you know, oh, look, there's a pasture over there and I wonder if that's Reuben's sheep. I'm going to talk to him after this guy stops talking and I'm going to go and maybe, you know, you know, talk to Reuben and see if we can trade some sheep for some corn or something. And, you know, maybe there's Jezebel there in the crowd and Jesus is talking and Jezebel is thinking, oh, look at Sarah. Oh, she's got new earrings. Where does she get those? How does she get her? I wonder if she's using goat stuff on her skin to make her skin so smooth, right? And they're just, uh, they're just, uh, they're just distracted. And Jesus goes, hey, if you've got ears, listen, right? And everyone's going, oh, yeah, yep, that's me. Yep, pay attention. Just a way to bring the crowd back to, to paying attention. Um, 
But then he says, consider carefully what you hear. With the measure you have, it will be measured to you even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Now, in our 21st century way of reading that, you read that at the first blush and you kind of go, hang on, that's not, that's, not, that's, that's not fair. That's not right, right? Like, especially in our day nowadays, it's all like everybody gets a ribbon, everybody gets to, everybody gets a, you know, achievement award and, um, you know, no, everybody gets first place, right? We, we, everybody gets equality and equity and there's all these, these words about fairness, right? Well, well this is a, remember, this is a different kind of kingdom that Jesus is talking about. This principle is called, I found this somewhere, and this is, a, this is a, an earful, consecutive spiritual assimilation and progressive spiritual atrophy. Okay, I'm say that again, and then you can impress your friends later by what you learned today. This is the principle of consecutive spiritual assimilation and progressive spiritual atrophy. In other words, the more you listen and learn and digest, the more you grow. The more that we don't, we don't, Right? So you think of a soccer player who, who, who gets up for practice and he just slept in and he hits the alarm and he's running and he's a couple minutes late for soccer practice and he's still doing his shoelaces up while his teammates are all stretching. And uh, during practice, you know, his phone rings. He's like, oh, I just, sorry, coach. Yeah, I just, I, I, you know, my sister needs her cats uh, looked after next weekend. So I'm just going to, you know, and then he, and then, you know, after practice, he just, he stops by the Dairy Queen and gets a, a big treat because practice was so hard. And then he hits the couch and he puts on the sports thing and he's watching all the soccer matches. And uh, he's like, yeah, I'm a soccer player. Yeah, that's me, right? Right? And then there's the other guy who gets up early in the morning and he runs on the track and he does, he sprints back and forth and he does the long distance, long distance runs and he, and, and, he, and he does the weights and he shows up early for, for practice and he's listening to the coach and then he goes home and he, and he studies the different plays that the coach taught him and maybe there's other plays. And he, and he studies training techniques and he shows up early for the game and he does all his stretches and his warm-ups. You know, who do you think is going to be better, right? Who do, you think, who do you think more will be added to them? Of course, it's the guy that's investing more in, in, in what he's got. And uh, I think it's the same for us in our spiritual life, right? You can, you can, you can kind of skim by and, 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 you know, make a show of being on the team and, and, you know, maybe put your hour in on Sunday morning, if I'm kind, or hour and a half, um, right? Or, or you, can, you can take the time during the week, early in the morning, you know, spend the time in the Word, um, dig and read and, and discover all the, the, the richness that God has in His Word. Um, I had a quick note here. I had said, you know, the more you invest in the kingdom of God, the more you will be blessed by it and the more you will bless others with it. And then I wrote, warning, this is not a prosperity gospel message, right? So this is, we're not talking about investing like we're going to pass the offering plate. Everybody put a big check in and add a zero or maybe two zeros and then God's going to make you richer. And, you know, we're not talking about a a financial um, consequence here necessarily, but just the riches of knowing that you have a purpose in life and that you know God's purpose for your life. So the next part here is, he goes on to talk about um, earlier, well, I'm going to jump back a little bit because this, I think this connects with this. Back in verse 11, Jesus said to the 12 and the others who were around him, he said, 
The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. So I had to ask myself, like, why, what's, what's with the secrecy, right? Like, why does, why does this have to be a secret? I mean, like, if God wanted us to know him, I'm sure he could do something really great with, like, the aurora borealis or something, like a big message in the sky, like, people of the earth, I am God, I made you worship me or perish, or something like that, right? Or lightning, you know, and, and like, I'm sure he could do it, right? But he doesn't, he doesn't do it that way because he wants us to, to, to earnestly seek him. The kingdom is veiled, or it's a secret kingdom, so that those who find out the secret do so because they're seeking him because they find him by faith. Let me say that again. The secret of the kingdom is veiled so that those who find out the secret do so because they're seeking him and they find him by faith. In Ephesians 8, 9, it says, By faith you have been saved through grace. It's the work of God so that no one can boast. God wants us to come to him through an act of faith. It's kind of like at Easter, right? The parents, you might remember when you've had little kids or if you still have little kids. Um, parents, I know when I grew up, I had lots of cousins around me and the, the adults would usher us all into a little room and then they would go out and they'd hide little Easter eggs and maybe little toys and stuff like that in, in the yard. And um, the children had faith. As children, we had faith that there was something out there and that there was something worthwhile going out and hunting for, right? So we had faith, and um, that's why we went out hunting for the Easter eggs. But only the kids who had faith that there was Easter eggs out there would actually get the Easter eggs, right? If you said, well, I don't know, I'm not going out there, and I'm sure the adults are just, like, tricking us. Well, then you wouldn't get the Easter eggs because you weren't out there hunting for the Easter eggs. Um, and some of those kids had to dig and look behind the prickly bushes because some of the uncles were a little bit mean, and they would hide things in places <laughs> that were hard to find, right? So you had, to, you had to put the effort in, but there was your reward that you would get that you would get uh, what they were hiding. And of course, again, you had faith because you had faith that your parents would hide Cadbury cream eggs and not an old pair of socks, right? Because that was, you knew your parents and you had faith in them. And the joy for the parents was also because they saw that the children had faith, right? Like on the other hand, the parents could have just got to the kids and said, here's an egg for you and here's a thing for you and here you go and have a nice Easter, see you later, go play, right? But it was this experience of we've done something for you and now you have to find it. So it's like that in the kingdom of God. The Lord has done something for us, but he also wants us to seek him earnestly. And uh, as we seek him, the more we grow and the more benefit we get from that. And again, this goes back to the parable of the soils, right? What kind of soil is in your heart? Do you have the kind of soil that's ready to receive God's word? Or do you have the kind of soil that's windswept and barren and easy pickings for the birds? Or is it consumed by, by weeds and thorns? In Psalm 1, verses 2, it says, Those who delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on it night and day are like a tree planted by streams of water, yielding its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. 
So this parable, like other parables that Jesus is telling, is used to keep the attention of the crowd, but he's also drawing them into a deeper meaning about continuing to seek and to grow, right? In other words, he's saying, don't be stagnant in your walk. And I think this is also the message for us. Don't be stagnant in your Christian life. Continue to grow, continue to, to improve. And because Jesus is using these parables, again, it's a bit of a hidden meaning, right? This is the, this is the secret. It's a parable. And again, he could have just told them an easy, an easy message, but because he told them this parable, I'm sure a lot of people went home for dinner that night and the husband says to the wife, yeah, I don't know, like, what did you think he meant? And I don't know what you meant. I don't know what did you think he meant, right? And so they would discuss this and ponder this amongst their friends at the coffee shop and, and hopefully through that come to a discovery of, of what the real message was that Jesus had for them. So the challenge for us is, are you fully invested in God's kingdom or are you putting it off for, for later in life? Maybe just doing a little bit of church right now, a couple hours on Sunday morning, and that, that, that ought to cover it, right? Like you can check that box and then you're, you're done. You know, how do we spend our time? There's lots of distractions, lots of, lots of things uh, vying for our attention and our time. How are you filling your time? Are you filling your time with the things of the world and the, or the things of, of the Lord? And we're not saying it's got to be all this and none of that, but what's the balance, right? What's your diet? What are you watching? What are you reading? What are we listening to? The life of us as a believer, it's a journey. It's a growth, a process of growth. And the kingdom of God is, is also here, right? He's always talking about these, these farm applications, this process of growth. And I think that's a call for us that we shouldn't be stagnant. Again, I'm repeating myself, but right, I think that's what I'm getting out of this is just that we need to continue to grow and to seek to grow. Um, of course, we know what happens to the, uh, to the stumpy fruit or the stumpy uh, tree or grapevine. It's withered, it bears no fruit, and it gets cut down and it gets thrown into the fire. The other thing about this, this growing kingdom is just the notion of, of a seed, you know, and I thought, like, why is Jesus talking about the seed? You know, maybe the farmers could all relate to that. But I also thought, you know, that little seed, whatever that seed is that's scattered by the farmer, and it's really marvelous when you think about it, whether it's corn or whether it's an acorn or whether it's uh, mustard or whatever, right? Carrots, that thing goes in the ground and that little seed has all the stuff in it, all the DNA and all the... I didn't pay, a part, uh, pay attention for that part in biology class, but all the, the stuff to make the seed germinate, right? That little, the nutrients it needs to send that little shoot down into the ground and to start sucking nutrients out of the ground and then to punch up through the earth and get those little green leaves going. All of that thing that the plant needs is in that seed. And so it is with the word of God, right? That's our seed. That's, it's, got everything, it's got everything in these pages. And... Uh, you know, of course, other commentaries and resources help, but there's many accounts of, of a sinner on his last legs at the end of his rope, a hard man, you know, finding a Bible, a Gideon's Bible in a motel room. Maybe he's ready to take his own life, but he reads the Bible, and everything that he needs to know to come to salvation is right there, right? And so I think it's like that with, with, with the seed comparison to the Bible. So later on in Mark here, um, in verse 26, this is the second 
parable, and we're into this already a little bit, the growing seed, he says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head, and as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. So the kingdom of God is growing, it's developing, just like that farmer's field, right? The field is growing, the seed's out there, it's sprouting, it's growing, but it's not ready yet. It hasn't arrived, you know, it's not harvest season yet, the stalk of the plants, the corn or whatever it is, it hasn't reached its full height yet, it's not harvest time yet. So it's a developing kingdom, it's here, but it's not yet in its fulfillment. Seed is scattered, but we don't know the effects of that for some time. And just like Sam was talking about, you know, when the kids went off to Sunday school, right? We scatter seeds, we scatter it, out it goes. And we might not know for many years with those kids, right? Some of them might find the Lord when they're four years old. Some of them might wander off. They might not find their way back to the Lord till they're 40, Right? We don't know. We can pray for them, but we scatter those seeds. I think we also need to consider that um, as little seeds grow, you know, often I grew up, um, I shared a, a while ago, I grew up in a congregation that was very, very strict and, you know, on reflecting on that, I think it would have been hard to be a, a new believer because there was all these rules. You know, you, hey, you're not doing it right, and you, and I see, I see what you're doing there, and I see how you've got your hair, and your jeans have holes in them, and all, you know, it's very strict, and I think we need to be gentle to new believers because just like those little shoots that come out of the ground, you know, when the farmers scattered the seed, and the rain comes, and the sun, and those little plants come, we don't expect those little plants to bear fruit already. They're tender shoots. And, and as we come alongside of new believers, I think we need to be gentle to them and care for them and help them to grow and nurture them. They're not ready yet to bear fruit. We need to gently bring them along. Um, elsewhere, the Apostle Paul talks about, you know, feeding off milk first and then later to the meat of the gospel. We need to correct them gently but the ultimate goal, of course, is for there to be a harvest, right? There's going to be a harvest. And this is also a reminder that we're not the ones doing the harvesting. We're not the farmers going out there, right? There's a judgment coming where um, the, it says the reaper comes with the sickle, which, which is, is uh, in those days, um, you know, it's that round. I grew up with, you know, farmers, they still had the, they still had the they'd mow the, Man, that seemed like so difficult. <laughs> now we got weed whackers, right? Well, they had the, you know, like when you see the typical sort of the Grim Reaper sort of thing, he's got that sickle, it's, you know, about that long. It's a curved blade on this handle, and they would just go all day long cutting the wheat and, uh, you know, cutting the wheat down. Well, that's, that's the image there. That's, that's the reaper bringing in the harvest. Um, but that's the picture there, right? That the ultimate purpose of, the life of Christian growth is that there will be a harvest and there's, there's, there's a purpose to, to bear fruit. 
because those who don't bear fruit, it says, will be cut down and, and thrown on the burn pile. So are you growing in God's kingdom? Are you bearing fruit or are you just surviving? So the last parable is the parable of the mustard seed. Again, Jesus said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? I can just see Jesus pausing here for a second going, you know, what's a good, okay, well, how about, how about it's like this? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant on the ground, and yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without a parable, but when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. So he's talking about a mustard seed, and I guess Jesus could have used all kinds of seeds. Um, mustard seed, I did a little bit of research. So the, the black mustard seed, I've never had black mustard, so I don't know if it comes in white, or I think there's white mustard and there's yellow mustard, which is we tend to have, and the yellow is squeezed tube on our hot dogs, but then there's also black mustard seeds. So black mustard seeds were the, the smallest of the seeds there's probably, obviously, there's smaller seeds than that, but those were the smallest seeds that a farmer would sow, right? When they sowed their crops, um, they, would sow, they would sow mustard seeds. Excuse me for a sec. My nose always gets runny when I talk of mustard for some reason. <laughs> not quite. So the analogy is not that People pick this apart. You know, they might say, you know, the Bible's full of nonsense because it says it becomes the largest of all the garden plants. Well, that ain't true because I grew some corn once and it was as tall as the ceiling, right? Well, that's not the, that's not the point. The point is that he takes the smallest seed that a gardener would plant and it grows into this big bush when actually, um, according to a little bit of research I did, a mustard bush or tree can grow up to 12 feet tall. So I guess it does grow into a tall tree, but not as big as, obviously, a cedar or spruce or whatever. But anyway, that's not the point. The point is, Jesus is saying, we've taken something very small, very, very simple, something with very humble beginnings, and we've planted it, and now it's growing into something significant. And he's talking here about his own, again, his kingdom, right? He's saying, what is the kingdom of God like? It's like this mustard seed. Jesus came from humble roots. He wasn't born in a royal palace. He grew up in relative obscurity. Then he had this ragtag bunch of disciples who, uh, I don't know, how many of you guys have watched Chosen? That Chosen? 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 Okay. It's like a, it's a TV series they've made about the life of Jesus. And uh, they take some artistic liberty, but, you know, they take these, these disciples, they're a bunch of fishermen and um, I'm sure, I'm sure if, they, uh, if, if it wasn't, you know, if it was done by a Hollywood, they would, these fishermen would probably drop the odd swear word once in a while. They were just rough guys. Sometimes they're arguing amongst themselves, right? So he's got these, this ragtag bunch of guys. They don't have any special political movement, no funding, no YouTube campaign, you know. They're just a bunch of guys, but Jesus plants these seeds into this kingdom that's lowly and it's starting to grow and then eventually this plant grows into something substantial and it gives, shade to, uh, it gives shade and shelter and refuge to the birds 
don't know if you've ever seen birds that uh, fly into, you know, around here we have blackberry bushes, right? And these birds, they just go into, you know, somewhere in that bush, and that's where they hide. And it's the perfect place if you're hiding from predators, right? So it gives shelter and protection. And um, Matthew 11:28, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, right? So he brings us into this mighty kingdom. It's growing into a mighty kingdom, but again, it gives us shelter and it gives you rest. And this is what we read earlier in Ezekiel, where the Lord says, Again, this is a prophetic word. I will take a small sprig off the top of a cedar and plant it on a high and lofty mountain. This is Ezekiel 17, verse 22 to 23, by the way, if you want to check it out. The Lord says, I myself will take a small sprig off the top of a cedar, plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain heights I will plant it. It will produce branches and bear fruit and become a splendid cedar. Birds of every kind will nest in it. They will find shelter in the shade of its branches. Isn't it neat how when you over here you're reading something in Mark, you're reading one of Jesus' parables, and then over here you're reading something in Ezekiel that was written, I don't know how many hundred years before. Maybe Jesus is referencing to that, but they connect, right? It's like these plugs, they just, hey, it connects. Um, in Ezekiel, it adds the detail of every, you know, birds of every kind coming to find uh, rest and comfort and protection in this kingdom. And I think there's, an, there's, a, there's a hint there that this kingdom that Jesus is talking about isn't just for the Jews, right? The Jews thought, hey, we're the God's chosen people. We've got a special place here. But Jesus is kind of blowing up that idea, saying, hey, this isn't just for you guys. This is, this is a kingdom for the Jews and the Gentiles. This is for everybody. Everyone's welcome in this kingdom. And of course, it's a prophetic foreshadowing of Jesus' final return to earth to rule from Mount Zion to bring peace and to bring us in, into, into his eternal rest. And so the question is, what kind of kingdom, you know, do we want to be part of? And, and what kind of kingdom do we put our hope in, right? There's, there's uh, again, especially in the last few years with COVID, and there's been elections, and there's political movements, and, and sometimes, even as believers, we can get caught up in that. And I don't... I'm not saying we shouldn't be involved in politics, right? But so many times it's easy to put our hope in, in this kingdom over here, this political party, or this guy, oh yeah, if we just get him elected, he's gonna, he'll clean house, right? We put so much hope in these things, and yet sometimes we forget that this, this isn't our home, this isn't our kingdom, our, our kingdom is up there. And we're only here for a time, we're, we're aliens, right? We're, we're just visitors here, and, uh, and our hope is not in these kingdoms. So the final question is, are you seeking to grow? Are you fertilizing your soil by reading the word and studying and, and digging and, and surrounding yourself with Christian community? You know, not just, obviously you're doing that this morning, but even outside of this morning, right? Do you have good friends that you, that you sharpen iron with, that you debate with and grow with and, and pray with? Are you letting your light shine? Or are you distracted by the kingdom's and the fleeting promises of this world. The question is, have you repented and turned away from the world, or have you made a decision, and have you made a decision to obey the King of Kings, who will one day return, and we know he will return, and every knee will bow, even the mighty kings of this earth, their knees will bow, and every tongue will confess that 
that he is Lord. So the question is, are you ready for the return of the king? Um, Lord, I just thank you for your message this morning. I pray that as we leave here today that um, we'll have been given some food for thought here, Lord. I pray that you work in our hearts and stir in our hearts and uh, help us to make changes in our lives wherever your spirit leads us to make those changes, that you would convict us of sin, of, of distractions, of maybe not prioritizing our, our time in ways that we should, and help us to seek first after your kingdom, knowing that you will add more to that in the end. And we thank you for this morning, Lord. We pray these things in your name. Amen.